Welcome to the Perky Collar Radio Show, where we talk to entrepreneurs from across the globe to learn why they started their company, what mistakes they've made, what they learned from those mistakes, and they all share an incredible success story. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Perky Collar Radio Show. I'm your host, David M. Frankel. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest. His name is Jeff Call, and he's the founder of Northland Scholars Academy. How are you this morning, Jeff? Hi there. Good morning to you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm so excited for you to tell the story of why you started your school. Uh, so then kick us off with the why. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thank you again. It was it was uh, nice building a friendship with you, and uh, thanks for for making an inquiry about about this unique uh, endeavor. A lot of people start start small. I went right for the jugular, I guess. And I love that. I was, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I the good news is I didn't know it was as big as it was when I started, or I might not have started it. And right, uh, but, but but nonetheless, I was working over in Central America, building a university there, and teaching entrepreneurial skills, and you know, uh, you know, really doing a number of neat things there, especially in Nicaragua, and I really enjoyed myself greatly. And then my alma mater had uh, <clears throat> announced their closure in 2015. And, you know, quite frankly, I didn't I didn't even see that coming. But evidently they had a number of hardships, uh, you know, internally. They, they couldn't you know, they're bleeding students at this university that that was there. Uh, and, and the camp, the camp when which I ran years before, which had record numbers of uh, fifty two hundred campers in the summer, nearly 200 summer staff. Uh, it was quite a large facility. And and it all came crashing down. And so in 2015, in April, to be exact, I reached out to uh, the board members and asked if there's something I could do. Uh, the board members consisted of pretty smart people, but they were smart, tired people. <laughs> they, they ran out of ideas. And uh, so I just posed uh, posed an idea. And that was, why don't you just give it to me, the whole campus, uh, 600 acres, Um uh, Probably if you rebuilt it, it'd be about 80 million or so, but it was in the middle of farm fields, but it was beautiful campus. I, I call it kind of a Marriott style uh, quality with, with Disney like activities uh, at red roof in prices. <laughs> and so that was, uh, um, you know, really, I, I saw that there was an opportunity there. Uh, and, and not knowing exactly how I was going to get there, I felt like it was it was worth something to, uh, doing simply because I'd given 20 years of my life prior to this, uh, the last 10 years, which I gave elsewhere. Uh, so so I reached I, I reached out and, and, you know, obviously I couldn't do it by myself. It's too big of a project for me. Uh, so I reached out to some other folks that I thought had some means and one in a particular person came into the picture was pretty influential in helping me secure the property with, with really a minimal amount of money. It wasn't a sale at all. It was just kind of a show of good faith. And uh, you know, the whole facility was, was uh, probably if you want to say purchase, I don't, I don't want to say, I'm not, I don't think that's the word to use, uh, but it was uh, certainly secured with $200,000 and, and so anyways, uh, that fella had actually left uh, four months later and the, the rich guy left and left me with the responsibility. But 
but I <laughs> got <luck>. involved with it. <laughs> good, good luck. And so luck. Uh, it's, it's so, but, but, you know, I've always, you know, I've always tried to piece things together. I, I don't try to solve a big problem in one big decision. I try to do it in a lot of bite sizes and try to orchestrate like a concert, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a solution to the, to the problem. So uh, anyways, the reason I started was I loved the campus. I was served there for 20 years. My kids were born there. Uh, I grew up in a really dysfunctional home and, and I hitchhiked to college, the same private school. And uh, you know, this kind of, this became the home I never had. And so I, I stayed there for 20 years uh, help build a wonderful camping or resort organization uh, that ministered to thousands and thousands of people throughout the Midwest, especially to professionals. And uh, to see it come crashing down was a surprise to me. And I thought someone needs to do something. So I thought I would just be standing in line with a few people, a few other people, but I was standing by myself. No one wanted that project. And the other the, the other reason I wanted to, to see it go was not just because I wanted some nostalgic value, although I, I do remind people nostalgia is not bad. It, it brings you back to grandma's house on Thanksgiving. Uh, but but, you know, nostalgia alone wasn't going to solve the problem. So, uh, you know, we really rallied the constituents to try to bring back at least the camping program. The college, for all intents and purposes, was finished. Uh, they, they put the nails in their own coffin, and there was no way to, to win that, that group over. At one time, it was a thousand student campus uh, uh, and, and really, really prepared people for nonprofit careers around the world and did a fabulous job. But uh, it, that was now gone. But now I have a camp that only uses about 30% of the facility and I have 70% of the facility uh, empty and it's going to, it's going to kill me. It's going to be a weight on me that just cannot, I would not be able to survive. So really I, I, I started the school, the international campus, Northland Scholars Academy, as really the means in which to support the campus, uh, because they would bring in, you know, students in America, they come to college, they might get some uh, grants and, and uh, you know, some things like that. Uh, and, but they still have to work. They still have to find a job. There's no jobs in this area where the campus was. So I needed to find a, a solution. And the solution to me was start ex an exclusive international high school for ninth through 12th graders where their moms and dads already have money and they send it in one bulk sum. <laughs> I thought that was the best idea, but I have to be honest with you. I didn't know how to start an international school like this in America. I was doing just fine in Nicaragua, but um, this is just, you have to work with all types of government agencies, but I did it because I wanted to keep the campus alive. I had to find a bigger solution than there was before. Uh, and and uh, five years later, we have a school there. Uh, so that's that's a big success. Congratulations. So where is the campus located? It's a little it's it's uh, above Green Bay, Wisconsin. So uh, now you're getting to, to really cold territory in the wintertime. But uh, uh, it's uh, Dunbar, Wisconsin and Marinette County. Uh, President uh, Trump visits Marinette every once in a while at the big Coast Guard. Um, uh, shipbuilding uh, center in Marinette. And so there's a lot of manufacturing in the area, but in our particular area in the county, there's 
there's uh, a lot of open spaces, lots of snowmobiling, lots of fishing, hunting, and it's the bridge county to uh, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. So walk me through, what is your enrollment now? What does the uh, school provide? Give me a little bit more of a run through if you're trying to recruit me or my child to come to school there. Kind of give me that quick snapshot of the school, the size. Yeah, that, uh, what's makes you stand out from other schools, things like that, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, that, that's a that's a mouthful, but absolutely, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I could spend all day on that, but let me try to just summarize it. You know, when I when I grab the campus, the campus has the capacity for twelve hundred beds, which is an enormous campus for a high school concept like this. I never thought I would would actually fill that many beds, at least in the first five years. Uh, but we did need those beds for the camping part of a program because we have a very, we're one of the largest facilities in Wisconsin that's able to do large scale events. And so that's why we have that many beds. But our first, you know, our, my first job was to open the school uh, and, you know, with American students because I couldn't bring international students until I started an American school. So we really started with about 25 students. I was able to get all of my uh, certifications through uh, Homeland Security and, and uh, the State Department and, you know, certainly the state of Wisconsin and getting, getting a high level accreditation. And we, we did that in record time. And I'm thankful for Senator Johnson's office uh, in Wisconsin for helping us with a large number of the legal or federal responsibilities. But uh, that, that gave way to the second year opening. We were able to open with a little over 50 students. Of course, you're a new, new, you're a new uh, school, and a lot of people want to know what you have. And so we're building our programs, and we're, you know, we're, you know, we don't have this big pot of gold. We, we can't raise millages. We can't collect taxes from neighbors. It's a private enterprise. And all of my, all of my investors are gone. Uh, I, I absolutely have no investors. I'm doing this all on a shoestring. I'm, um, you know, flying all over the world on the cheapest flights, staying in the cheapest hotels, and just uh, going to uh, uh, student recruitment fairs. And, and uh, I joined forces with a with a uh, person in, involved in that. He was involved with that for ten years. I I gave him because I felt like I needed someone with that expertise. I gave him. 35% of my business without any money being transacted, but I needed his knowledge and I, I needed his contacts. And so, um, you know, that old adage, if you want to go, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. And so I found a series exactly. of people, I found people to go with and I didn't mind giving up equity for the right type of people. And, and he's been a fantastic a fine, very professional, and uh, an older gentleman without the alpha male um, demands. Uh, he was a team player, and and that really made my job tons tons easier uh, because I could count on him, and he can count on me. And so, uh, so anyways, we we provide a high caliber uh, student experience on a campus designed as a resort. So students get activities here that they wouldn't get normally at a really well established high school in America. Uh, it's a resident program. So we provide everything from, you know, you know, the science, the high level science classes, but also the high level life skills, you know, outside of the classroom uh, with, with a tremendous staff 
that care for them uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout the entire year. We have, uh, we have articulation agreements with over 100 Division I schools in America. Uh, they like our program and our curriculum. And uh, when our young people graduate from here, like they have, they go on to uh, a number of these universities. University of Wisconsin is certainly one of them. Uh, and they, they're highly accredited and, and uh, respected around the world. They have a number of uh, designations there at University of Wisconsin that makes that really attractive for people. The challenge for us is a lot of people don't know Wisconsin. Uh, they, they think, of, hey, when I go to international school in, West, in, in, the, in the United States, I want to go to Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, New York, uh, you know, these places. But in the last couple of about the last year, that has changed because the cities have, cities have taken a, a negative uh, view uh, around the world and they want their kids uh, to, to go to rural settings. And so that's been a, a uh, really uptick of interest, but, but they love the, the people around the world, love the fact they could, they could send the kids to a rural type setting in a safe environment with high academics uh, where, where it's pretty affordable, um, you know, for, for our young people. We have, uh, I don't know, 20, 25 students from right now from, uh, from Vietnam, and they pay about 18000 uh, to $20,000 a year for, you know, a nine month program. And it's pretty affordable. And, and they like that other, other places are charging 50 to 60,000 and we can match everything that they're giving them uh, in our, in the context we're doing it. Now we're an exclusive international high school. So that means uh, I'm going to guess every school except ours in America is, um, is, is the, the primary, the majority number of students are American students and it's not a resident program, and they supplement their school with uh, with uh, you know international students who are interested. We're exclusively an international school, which means ninety percent of our students are from the international community, uh, and we'll have uh, perhaps 20, 22 nations represented with that number, uh, with that percentage, and we'll have uh, you know like I said, 10% American students. But the challenge for us is, well, well, let me say it this way. The, the American students are there primarily because the international students want American students there. Uh, but, but where boarding schools used to be more normal, you know, 25 years ago, boarding schools today have somewhat of a negative uh, connotation uh, with Americans today, like discipline or, you know, discipline issues. Now that the 10% of the American students that have been coming, it has been a, you know, many of them have been fantastic young people, but many of them also have the typical American teenager issues magnified by the fact that they are resident students. So we become, you know, not only the school authorities, but also coaches, parents, law enforcement, <laughs> all those things we are to these people, uh, these, this group of students. And so uh, the, the, the kids from the international community, though, their parents save for their, for their students who go to America. They have a purpose larger than just that diploma. And, and it's amazing to see parents who have this long-range plan for their student and they entrust us with that student. Most American student parents have short-term goals. 
most international student uh, parents seem to have long-term goals and the young person seems to submit to that, which uh, has, has been, it's been a learning, it's certainly been a learning curve for me, but uh, we, we have uh, a fantastic facility uh, for these, these young people. All of our faculty live on the campus. So there's a lot of mentoring that happens outside of the classroom uh, and parents can visit their children uh, throughout the year because we have, you know, hotel, accommodations on the premises. Fantastic. Now, would you say that uh, a lot of people that have interest in international business use this as a good, strong foundation they, to then go off to a college and study international business? Yes, they do. They do. Uh, uh, I, I think more and more uh, school or more and more international parents, uh, you know, view the high school experience primarily as an opportunity to be attractive to some prestige division one university in, in America. Uh, and then there's a lot of those, uh, you know, so they want us to prepare them in math and science uh, and certainly business. And they want to learn all of those skills uh, related to prior to going to college. And so we provide a lot of, a lot of those career development uh uh, type topics. We all we also do some uh, trades and vocation uh, enrichment, vocational enrichment with the student body, uh, and they can choose a number of those uh, uh, courses, which which is also attractive to uh, countries around the world. Not so much. I mean, there's there's some countries that that aren't interested in trades uh, as much as other countries, uh, but but. You know, manufacturing is a really important scenario around the world for for countries to exist, and and they're they're finding uh, that these are just as noble professions and careers. Uh, and certainly in America, a lot of these students want to move here; they want to become citizens here, and so they they see that as a uh, as an up and coming uh, legitimate opportunity because I think trades uh, have 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 been lifted up as a as a legitimate career. Uh, uh, perspective, uh, for sure. Uh, and of course, Northland was Northland, uh, you know, its founder, uh, Paul Patz was, uh, had a third grade education, grew up in the, uh, great depression, uh, invented a, uh, you know, farm, some farm equipment that, uh, changed the way people did farming around the world, made significant money, uh, you know, hired hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in his town for 50 years. And, he, you know, he had lots of proceeds, uh, you know, after all the dividends were paid out. He, and he basically built Northland. And, you know, I don't know what the, the actual number is, but I'm going to guess he's he gave uh, tens of millions, maybe up to $50 million to, to this small, you know, this campus to develop it, to to give rural kids a and international students, uh, you know, a great education. So he, you know, he, and he was in manufacturing all of his life. So, you know, we, we, we think highly of that field at, at least at Northland. Makes sense. And I agree with you hundred percent that the trade industry has gone to certifications where it's not as important to get a diploma or a degree, but that certification of a certain trade has become highly desirable for many companies that are out there. So the fact that you offer that is a, a great extension of what you're doing. Absolutely. And I also think if you, if you graduate from your high school and you're looking for a differentiator to get into a, 
prestigious international business program, undergraduate, especially for a master's degree. I know the University of South Carolina, my alma mater, was very selective on their master's program and one of the top three in the country for the last 20 years. And I would think if someone went to your international school, that would give you a differentiator from anyone else applying to get in. And they actually only like to take people from their undergraduate and bring them to the graduate program. They'd rather you go somewhere else undergraduate and come there for graduate just to get diversity of your experience and education. Uh, yes, before COVID uh, hit, uh, I was in Gabon, Africa and Morocco. Um, and we had made uh, agreements with their governments to send up to uh, 150 students from those two countries to our school. They were high school students. They like the fact that we have a strong English training program. Uh, they they liked uh, you know the fact that it was America. They haven't they didn't have any uh, student programs to America at that particular point. Both of those countries send their students or high school students either to France or other locations in Europe, uh, and they wanted to build build a bridge to American opportunity. And so we we have. We had very strong uh, negotiations and agreements in uh, December, and then they were scheduled to come over in January and February to our campus. And of course, uh, you know, we're all in a COVID, you know, pandemic realization, and we're just waiting for some of those things to uh, to uh, uh, come to a conclusion so we can continue these talks. We they are still very very interested, and maybe even more so. Uh, you know, because COVID has has separated every nation from all the other friendly nations or, uh, you know, not so friendly nations. And so they've been kind of isolated from the world. And because we keep these conversations alive with them, they're still very much interested in what in what we're providing or able to provide their, their future students. That's excellent. No, I think that if anyone can be affected by COVID, it's definitely you, especially because of the international strength of your program. Uh, and that's by a whole other conversation of 20, 30 minutes long as well as how COVID has impacted your oh, school. Yeah, that, that. But I do want to move on to a little bit more about you building this uh, Northland Scholars Academy. What mistakes have you made over the years in building this school? Uh, and also, and also more importantly, what did you learn from those mistakes? Well, I, I, I tell folks, um, hope gets you up in the morning and the reality throws you back to the bed at night. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and the difference between someone who lives with optimism and the person who lives constantly depressed is that hope wakes me up. Reality wakes the other person up. <laughs> and uh, so, so I, I just, I just have a natural optimistic uh, kind of flavor to me. I don't panic about every little detail, uh, you, you know, you know, I want, I want to make sure all the bills are paid. I want to make sure that, you know, people are satisfied, but at the same time, people need to be stretched. And when you're starting something like this big out of money from your own pocket and, and, and you're oftentimes taking money from other pockets and you're doing your best to juggle all of that, you know, there's, there's, I don't want to say collateral damage. There's, there's a, uh, there's a consequence to all of that. And you try to manage that a little bit. Uh, so, so I guess the mistakes that uh, the, the big mistake that I made is I never started a school to this at this extent, and I just went ahead and did it. Uh, I, I thought I had people, um, you know, I thought I had folks. I did my due diligence and and I put together a plan, but you know, the plan just seems to go out the window 
you with the first variable that comes and you're just always ricocheting to to address a certain issue and especially in an international student with the scope in which we we had we have a huge campus uh, it's, it's worth millions and millions of dollars and it, and it needs to be fed. Uh, I tell folks, uh, you know, I taking Northland was, was like, um, taking Northland or the campus, Northland campus was like taking the elephants from Barnum and Bailey when they retired their, their circus and say, mom, I got, they gave me these, these elephants. Well, why are they moaning? Well, I, I don't know. Well, I think they're hungry. So I got this big, I got this big campus with, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I have nothing to feed it. And so I had to get busy quickly. Uh, you know, the, the great thing about entrepreneurship is, is you, you can't spend a lot of time on your idea uh, without realizing that your idea has to start giving you some, some revenue. It has to start paying for itself uh, for it to be some legitimate and so we, we, the camp, of course, was the big deal. Um, but so the mistakes I made, you know, I relied too much on potential donors and their long-term help. Uh, and then maybe agenda-driven investors that didn't have your same interests in mind. Uh, making sure, you know, another mistake I made was making sure cons the consultants that I hired to come in to help me with the school start believing that it was their school and they would actually they would actually, if you can believe it, I'm paying them, but they would come in and rebuke me for thinking a certain way. And I'm like, no, we're not. We got to think this way before it to work. And I was correct. But the consultants really take things too personal and you got to have some checks on them uh, because they only want to do it in the context of what they that they did in the past. And this was just a new a new thing. But I probably made tons of mistakes. I don't even know I made uh, because it. Because I, I don't, I don't, I didn't have time to reflect on it. I just ricocheted from it, like, well, let's just hurry, let's just change it. And I do think a lot of people get crippled. Uh, uh, I think there's a lot of people that get crippled while they're doing their business, and they stumble over the simplest of decisions. And what I learned a long time ago is make a decision with the information that you have. Uh, sure, there's going to be new information tomorrow, but if new information comes tomorrow, change the decision. Uh, and, and that's what I've done. And so I really haven't belabored the mistakes a whole lot. I just try to correct things as I go, make, make calibrations, uh, as often as I need to without, you know, you know, crippling the organization, you know, by, by all these new additions every day. Yeah. There's an old phrase I, I follow greatly, which is analysis paralysis. Yes. So if you just keep gathering information, gathering information, always afraid to make that decision, never make any progress. So I agree with you 100%. Make a decision, roll with it. And if you get new information, you can always pivot. You can always modify that decision based on the new information. But this do nothing makes no progress and we just go yes. nowhere. So that's, that's a great yeah. advice. So to wrap up the show, I, I want to be respectful to your time and my listeners' time as well. Uh, share with me a success story. It could be your own personal success story, or maybe it's a student that came in from a foreign country that just excelled and has now gone on to be, you know, a, a great success story, business-wise, professional-wise, whatever it may be. Is there someone you can think of or yourself that uh, a success story you'd like to share with the well, audience? You know, I think that the obvious success story is is we came to a campus with 600 acres. Uh, there were 15 board members, smart smart, intellectual, wise, but they ran out of energy, ran out of ideas, 
ran out of money. Uh, they were they were millionaires who no longer wanted to put any more money into the organization, uh, and and they wanted to really just shed, you know, the the, the past. And, and you know, I came in uh, maybe a little I don't want to say gullible, maybe, maybe naive, thinking I'll just push a little button and all the all the past constituents will come in and and support it, and they'll have the same nostalgic feelings I had. And, uh, and, and we'll be able to rescue this thing. And, and I think the success story is, while it didn't exactly happen that way, there were new constituents that came. There were new customers. There were new parties. There were new relationships. And it took, it took every day and every minute of the day and every evening hour, every weekend, and even, even holidays. And we chased down every possible scenario. And, and we started a school when when the college had closed we started a high school program that's never been started before in this type of context and uh you know the success was glaring especially prior to covid we we rescued the camp we were gonna have 250 students in the summer pro in the school program that have brought brought enough money to make all the payments and and uh, and, and so to me, the fact that we stayed at it after all, many, many of my friends counseled me not to even go there, but I, I decided to go anyways because it was a bigger burden to me than just making money. I felt like we could make a difference and I felt like the campus shouldn't be wasted and someone needs to try a little harder. And so the great success on that is that we did it. You know, I mean, I think sometimes people just forget that they closed it in 2015 and they thought it was over and, and. And we extended it for five more years. It's still going. And, and the, the other success story is, is, aside from the individual students, I'd love to talk more about that. Uh, but the, 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 I got, I got I, when I started this project in April of 2015, I said, there's only one person that I know of that could help me. And her name is Debbie. And I called Debbie and said, Debbie, could you just help me put some things together? to get Northland ready. She loved Northland as well. She was a student that, that graduated and then stayed on. She's impeccable. Uh, she, I mean, I don't think she makes mistakes. She might've made one mistake in five years that I know of. Uh, and I'm not sure that it was a mistake, but, but she's available 24 seven. And when I traveled around the world, the 62 countries in the last number of years, she's by her phone, getting me data. She, she does it without complaining. She does it with, uh, with uh, fervency and com commitment, and she does it for free. And 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 when we had financial difficulties uh, to get some things, she put her own personal money as a single person, without any complaint, to kind of pay salaries. And so, I, I want to say that when you're going to go forward with something, you better have one assistant like that. And uh, and so I tied her into all of our successes, and she's certainly rewarded with. Uh, with uh, ownership stake and shareholder status, uh, all, all because she showed a tremendous appreciation for what I was doing and she joined hands and forces with it. She's the most loyal person I've ever had work for me. And I, and I, I, would, I, would, not, I would not do right if I took all the credit. Uh, she, she certainly has, has saved me in so many ways. I appreciate an assistant like Debbie and I'm indebted. If we, when we see the greatest successes of all, Debbie is who I'll thank first. Just for you. I think every company yep, everyone needs a, needs a dev. 
So can you help our listeners find? Can you help our listeners find Debbie? That's probably the million dollar question. I know, where, De- right? I know where Debbie's are, so I got them. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> that sounds like a book. Everyone needs a That's Debbie. Fantastic. <laughs> Everyone needs a Debbie. It can be a little Debbie, a big Debbie, a medium sized Debbie. We don't care as long as it's a Debbie that can help our businesses grow. I love it. <laughs> So, uh, Jeff, wrap us up with how people can get a hold of you. How can they learn more about your school? I don't know if you want to share social media, emails, phone numbers, well, whatever yeah, you feel comfortable you. sharing. I appreciate that. I, li- I, I, I live in Charlotte, like North that. Carolina. I have a couple of endeavors. I'm starting here in Charlotte. Uh, and I have people that are running the campus in Wisconsin. I certainly uh, uh, get up there often. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would go out with anyone with coffee and, you know, go out for lunch, whatever it is. I'll, I'll, I'll meet you at midnight if you have an idea you don't want anyone to know about. You just need total quietness. Uh, but, you know, certainly Jeff.call at Hotmail. Uh, I can be reached. I can read, reach on doc, Dr. Jeff Call. Uh, doc, uh, uh, K-A-H-L is how you spell my last name. Um, and LinkedIn. And then, uh, uh, you know, certainly Facebook, Jeff. Jeff dash Carol call is Carol's my wife. And so, you know, we, uh, they they could reach us there or they could reach me at 704-989-8517. I'll love to chat and talk. And, uh, I had two people over last night trying to help them with their businesses. And so I, you know, I love doing that at any time, day or night. doesn't matter to me. Is there a yeah, website the, for the school? Yeah, people that because yeah, we do yeah, have an international Northland, call for the, for the, yeah, the Northlandscholars.org. Northlandscholars.org and uh, Northlandcamp.org is the, the nonprofit at the same facility. Uh, yeah, that's where that's where those organizations are. Excellent. Well, Jeff, it's been a great experience listening to your story. I love the fact that you flew, you know, and you stayed in the cheapest hotels. You're not flying first class. You're flying, you know, coach. Uh, you do what you got to do. That's the definition of the grind. And those are exactly the kind of people I want to have on the show. Uh, it's not a luxurious to build a business. Uh, and then obviously once you look back and you're proud of your accomplishment, then you can fly a little nicer and travel a little nicer. Uh, but when you're in the thick of it and you're in the, the trenches, you keep your costs down. Uh, until your vision becomes reality. And I applaud what you've done. You are the definition of an entrepreneur. Uh, you had a vision that you didn't stop until it became a reality. So I, I congratulate you on that. And I know getting up each morning wasn't easy. Going back to get it, going back to bed is definitely much easier, but you chose to keep pushing and pushing, found your Debbie and you made it happen. So I congratulate you and I hope you've motivated and inspired Thank you some so people much. Listening. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Hey guys, Brett Tremblay here with Get Staffed Up. Like you, I'm a lawyer and a business owner. And until I discovered the wonders of having virtual administrative assistance, I was always swamped with too much to do and never enough time. And when I would get on a roll and get a bunch of work done, that meant I was neglecting my family. I know you've been there before because I know hundreds and hundreds of small law firm owners who are hustling just like us trying to get it all done. And maybe we know we need help, but we just can't fathom how we're going to hire the forty, fifty thousand $50,000 domestic person to be a personal assistant here. So this is what we do at Get Staffed Up. We find a virtual assistant for you. We, we let you interview them and ultimately you get to decide who you work with, but it's a full-time virtual assistant. You pay us and we pay them. So we take the headache of being the employer of the taxes, the withholding and the compliance, and we find a full-time 40 hours a week virtual assistant for you on average for only $18.50 a month. That's less than $500 a week 
that you can then offload all of those tasks that, that are getting in your way of enjoying your life or working on your business and delegate. The key here is to delegate your way to freedom, which is one of our favorite catchphrases. I know you're swamped because I've been there before. Take a second, take a deep breath and think about what it would be like to have someone at your firm that you could give all of those projects that just never get done. Just delegate, delegate, delegate. That's the way to not only grow your business, but find more freedom. And once again, love and start to enjoy what you do. Perky LLC is a clothing innovation company. We bring products to market that solve clothing related problems. The first product I'm gonna discuss is the Perky Collar. It is a collar support system for dress shirts. Don't you hate it when your collar lays flat, tucks under, one's up, one's down, totally lays flat when you wear a blazer? Well, no more. Here's how it works. Whether you're wearing a button-down shirt or a non-button-down shirt, it works with either one. Lift your collar up, put the perky collar on the collar chamber of your shirt, and then lay your collar down on top of it. Look in the mirror and adjust it so it's even from around your neck. Again, the perky collar sits on the shirt, doesn't touch your neck directly, and weighs less than a half an ounce. So virtually it's invisible and it's weightless. You'll see an amazing difference in how great your collar perks up every time you put on your perky collar. To order, go to perkyllc.com.